Hello and welcome to Dr. Karen Health Talks. I haven't been around for a while, I have a very good reason. My first grandbaby was born and I have immersed myself in the beautiful caretaking and support of my daughter and our beautiful new baby. So I am back and guess what? My first topic back is about children. So this is a topic I have not actually addressed before and I was so taken by it that I really wanted to bring this to my podcast audience. And the topic is uh, social media risks for children and adolescents. You may have heard that the U.S. Surgeon General has just issued a public health advisory. And in this advisory, he warned that social media poses a profound risk of harm. That is very intense, a profound risk of harm for children's mental health and development. And my guess is most of us have thought about this, the um, social media that has come on the scene and is now dominating the time and attention and brains of our beautiful young children and adolescents. And finally, we're actually addressing it. So there's actually an official report and I just wrote a blog that where you can access that report if you just go to drkarenwolf.org and go to my blogs, you'll see it's the most recent blog topic and you can download the full report. But what I wanted to give you is just a teaser right now about the report. And if you have children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, if you're in young people's lives, you're a teacher, we're all teachers in some way. Talk about this topic. Talk about this report. Let's just get it out there and have a conversation because shining light on a topic is a great way for us to be able to take action. So just know that this, in this report, he also said there's not enough evidence to determine that social media is sufficiently safe for our children. So it's so wonderful that we can actually shine a light on this topic before we've got all the evidence-based resources when perhaps the damage has been done. So uh, I'm so glad this is out in the open and it explores some different areas. One, the positive and negative effects generally on of social media on children and adolescents and uh, two, some of the primary areas for mental health and well-being concerns. And thirdly, opportunities for additional research. So the fact that he's shining a light on this is bringing to light some of the areas that need greater research. So he does explore the, the both positive and negative effects. So that's a good thing. There are certain positive effects like building community and engaging. But then he highlights the ways that the mental health and well-being concerns are really the most damaging. And that's two areas. The potential risk of harm from content exposure, the actual content. And two, the harm of excessive and problematic use. <laughs> excessive use. And the great thing about the report, and this is why I really encourage you to read the full report, is it gives solutions. 
So what policymakers can do, what technology companies can do, what parents and caregivers can do, what children and adolescents can do, and what researchers can do. So it's really shining a light on action. And I like action, just doesn't talk about it. So I am actually going to share, because I am a caregiver, I'm a parent, I'm going to highlight the areas that parents and caregivers can do. Because if you're listening to this podcast, these are things you can actually take action on. Or if you're in any young person's life, these are things you can talk to about friends, family, co-workers, create a conversation, create a group where perhaps this is a conversation. If you have any lunch and learns in your offices, your companies, have this as a topic because the actual advisory gives lists out specific things can do. So you could actually have a reading group and highlight these for discussion. Because what I know is if we can shine a light, if we can talk about this, then we're suddenly making a shift. Things that we keep buried will keep festering. It's like a it's like a boil that never gets opened and it just gets more and more infected. So there's my medical analogy. So let's talk about what parents and caregivers can do. And by no means is the responsibility of this social media use solely on the shoulders of parents and caregivers. But here are some steps to help protect and support children and adolescents. So the first thing is create a family media plan. So this would be an agreed upon plan that can help establish healthy technology boundaries. So this might promote family discussion. You can talk about rules around media use, things like balancing screen and online time. So a lot of times families have TV boundaries, the amount of TV or even laptop device use. Well, let's extend that to social media use. And then, of course, there's content boundaries. So a lot lot of times the content on social media is unrestricted and this can be very dangerous. So there is a resource in my blog where you can help create this media plan. So uh, this this is a, a difficult area and if you've never done something like this before, what I love is the advisory actually gives you a link to set up this media plan and that link is in my blog and it is in the actual um, advisory and it's all about uh, creating a healthy family media plan because media is everywhere and unless you actually set priorities that matter most to your family then it will have you'll have unlimited use so the family media plan includes a, a list of media priorities practical tips to help them work uh, it actually offers you, the link offers you the ability to print or share, or share your finished plan. So I can imagine you sit around a table, talk to your family about this, print it out so that it's documented. And you can, this actual link offers the ability to change the plan from time to time as well. So I highly recommend that you find that link. 
The second area is creating tech-free zones. I love this. So I know a lot of people do this already, but limiting the use of phones and tablets and computers at the dinner table, for example, or when you go out to dinner, no devices, or a limit it for one hour before bedtime and throughout the night. So don't take the devices into the bedroom. Uh, meal times, of course, and any in-person gatherings are device-free. So it, it encourages engagement, <laughs> talking to people, having conversations, which is one of the big concerns with children is they don't learn conversations and relationships because social media really is a false relationship. It's not in person. And just making sure that you have these unplugged times as a priority. And the great news is the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics have guidelines for media use. So I also have the link in my blog for the guidelines for these uh, media use. The third one is, and we can all do this as parents and uh, caregivers, is model responsible social media behavior. So when I'm with my little grandson, am I sitting there looking at my device and he's playing in his activity center and he's watching me looking at my device? So what am I modeling? I am modeling devices as a high priority area instead of the relationship we have together. So modeling, being so conscious of where and when you are using these devices and going onto social media. Children learn behaviors and habits when they see, then they see it. So model it. I can't stress that enough. And we can all set a good example around health, healthy social media use by limiting our own use and being mindful of our own habits. Like I just gave you the example of my little grandson that is just soaking up every little behavior that we are doing. How am I modeling behavior in front of him? So let's talk about what's driving the mental health concerns because this is such an important topic. I mentioned earlier two important areas. One, harmful content exposure and two, excessive use. And again, go to the report to look at this in detail. I'm hoping that by me having a conversation with you about this, this will encourage you to really dig deep into this topic. So harmful content exposure is pretty scary. There are live depictions of self-harm acts on social media. And what this does is it normalizes these behaviors. I've heard about challenges, and particularly in one form of uh, social media, I won't mention the name, where there are challenges and then people just accept the challenge and they are self-harm acts, like putting your head in a bucket of water, for example. And these, these actually can encourage packs where self-harm is modeled for others to follow. So harmful content exposure, so important. And this is where technology companies could really step up and create some boundaries. And then the excessive and problematic use, uh, we can do more of that as caregivers. They're actually, it's actually disrupting healthy behaviors. The more time they're spending on their devices, 
the more they are not engaging in healthy habits. And social media encourages excessive use with autoplay and infinite scrolling and quantifying popularity with likes and going back and back and back to see how many likes as if this is an important measure of your worth and popularity. So excessive use has been linked to sleep problems and attention problems and feeling of exhaustion amongst adolescents. And then there is another big area that I am very interested in women's health and that includes uh, adolescent women, teenage women and the concept of body image that is portrayed on social media can perpetuate body dissatisfaction because all of these pictures of these perfect bodies and some of them have been photoshopped or we tend to post the pictures that we like the most. Um, It can encourage disordered eating behaviors and social comparison and low self-esteem especially amongst adolescent girls. And the actual, the report has a lot of studies included in it. And one study that really jumped out at me was when they were asking about the impact of social media on the body image of adolescent girls. And 46% of adolescents aged between 13 and 17 said social media makes them feel worse. 46%. 40% said it makes them feel neither better or worse, and only 14% makes them feel better. And these kinds of studies we will be using more and more in our work in the mental health profession to be able to make changes in social media. So I hope you will share this podcast. It's short, less than 15 minutes, and it's a way to shine the light on this very important topic of the social media risks for children and adolescents. And again, you can go to my website, drkarenwolf.org, and read my blog that I wrote. You can also share that blog if the, the written word is a better way for you to share. I've made it my passion now that I am a, a grandma and a mother of a teacher to really shine the light on this topic now, now, before it becomes an even bigger, bigger issue. And the links between mental health for children and adolescents and social media are really there. So thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. Thank you for engaging in this topic. So I just ask you to share this podcast and have someone just listen, just listen and If they want to go and read the full report, then absolutely it's there. But have a conversation. Start talking about this. It's the first step to making significant change. So this is Dr. Karen and I thank you. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of those you love. Bye for now.